the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2, verses 40 through 52. The child Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed as an understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our Gospel proclamation comes from the Gospel of St. Luke in the second chapter that I just finished reading for you and serves as the basis of our theme for the second Sunday after Christmas, knowing what to do with him. He was a committed bachelor for over 50 years old, by the time he met the woman he would spend the rest of his life with. She was in her late 40s and likewise a committed bachelorette until she met him. I heard the story through his brother, and it goes like this. The first date he went on with her, he was sure she wasn't going to work out because he was Lutheran and she was Methodist. So he declared to his brother, my friend at the time, if she doesn't convert to being a Lutheran, it's over. Now she checked out the book of Concord he gave to her, thought it was brilliant, and agreed. So for their next date, being a pastor, he was certain no woman would want to be married to a pastor. Again, he declared to his brother, if she doesn't like that I'm a pastor, it's over. <laughs> Turned out, she didn't mind at all. In fact, she even found it a little attractive. Their next date, he told his brother he was going to reveal that he was a seminary professor, declaring yet again, if she doesn't like that I'm a committed professor of theology and trained pastors, it's over. Turns out, she was thrilled at the prospect of living in the beautiful Gothic houses on campus and socializing with the other professors' wives who lived there as well. Needless to say, they got married. Now, I didn't have him as a professor before he was married, so I only knew him as A.M. professor, after marriage, as the seminarians referred to him. And I got to tell you, he was a wonderful teacher. But many had him B.M. before marriage, 
and said he was tough when he graded. There was definitely a difference in the way he taught before he was married versus after he was married, they would tell me. The funniest part about them both getting married later in life after being single so long is what he said to his colleagues when he got back from the honeymoon and they settled into their gothic home on seminary way. So, uh, guys, uh, getting all settled in, and I was just kind of wondering, what am I supposed to do with her? None of them replied, not even beginning to understand why he would ask such a question. Marcy and I were married really young, pretty much grew up together, so we couldn't even begin to understand either. What do you mean, what do you do with her? Everything, we would reply. But we both know now that's not most married couples. Sometimes in life, you just don't know what to do with people that are unlike anything you've ever experienced before. There's a first time for everything they say. But I can just imagine that his unique situation was not unlike what Mary and Joseph were feeling about Jesus. I mean, they just became parents of the king of the universe, the savior of the nations. So what do you do with him? Well, they didn't have much time to think about this initially as King Herod was trying to kill Jesus, so they had to quickly pull up stakes and find a place to make a home in Egypt until Herod was dead. Then by the time it was safe to come back, they knew they had to bring Jesus to fulfill the law with the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons to redeem him back from service in the temple, the first born in the family. So until their trip for the Passover in our lesson today, they most likely didn't have much time to reflect on the reality of raising the savior of the universe and for the first time realized they may have to rethink what they were going to do with him. Now, I believe this is standard parenting these days. Some do it by the model that they grew up in or at least it informs the way they parent even if they don't methodically think about it that way. Some read all the books what to expect when you're expecting, super baby food, Dr. Spock, or anything by James Dobbins. Okay, I'm probably dating myself a little bit there. But no matter what you do, every parent comes to a point where the paradigms don't necessarily fit their child, and they must go off their script and figure out what to do with their child. So what Jesus did is normal. Getting disconnected with his parents at 12 was usual for boys in those days. I mean, how many of us remember running around our neighborhoods all day long and our parents had absolutely no clue where we were? We were just home for lunch or dinner and just let them know generally where we'd be. We pretty much went wherever we wanted. I mean, I remember as a boy in Bloomington, Minnesota, running all over the marsh next to our neighborhood, riding our bikes out to Bush Lake, floating on vinyl rafts in the creek, fishing with bows and arrows. We never caught anything, so I guess there was no real evidence of what we were up to. Mom just knew we'd be home when we got hungry or were with our friends. And as long as she could call a few neighbors and track us down if she needed to, we were pretty much incognito with her all summer long. In fact, I specifically remember being told to go outside and do something if she did catch us hanging out in the basement too much. So Jesus being absent with his parents, unaware of his whereabouts, was pretty normal in our parenting culture too, at least up until the late 70s. That much we can understand. 
What might be difficult to understand is Jesus' reaction to them when they told him how upset they were that he stayed behind at the temple without telling them where he was. After all, they oversaw him. The first thing we must understand is just because Mary and Joseph don't understand doesn't mean Jesus sinned. The text is clear here. They didn't accuse him of disobeying them. They simply conveyed to him their grief and not knowing where he was. You know, the classic, you're killing me, kid. Or, you wonder why I drink so much. Or the collective assessment of older parents when they say a rascal at church. Boy, that one's going to be a pistol. The exasperation is real. But deep down, loving and caring, just closer to the end of the rope at that moment. But even though Mary and Joseph quickly reached the end of their rope with that boy Jesus, what they still didn't understand is this is no ordinary boy. For Jesus was not who they expected him to be. Jesus didn't say what they expected him to say. And Jesus did not do what they expected him to do. It is one of the great human tragedy of Jesus' life that during his lifetime, his nearest and dearest never understood him. Neither, says John, did his brothers believe in him. Mark tells us that when Jesus set out on his public mission, his friends tried to restrain him, for they said that he was mad. He seemed to them to be busily engaged in throwing his life away in a kind of insanity. What Mary and Joseph got a glimpse of in the temple today is but a brief preface to the canon of scripture we devote ourselves to to this very day. Wisdom so rich, even those who do not believe it pay homage to the timelessness of its fundamental truths and the influence it's had on our culture around the world. Forgiveness and redemption taught like nowhere else and in no other religion at all. Timeless truth and proverbs that have been useful for training armies and families alike. All because it tells us about this little boy in his father's temple today. The same boy that would become a man when he came to the temple again. This very same boy that would be captured and detained by this temple's guards for what he said and taught, but more importantly, for the sinners that he loved and then found guilty of their crimes and crucified for them. Yeah, we didn't know what to do with our sins or our Savior who took them from us. But he did. Knowing if he took them and died for them, we could truly know him and never forget what to do with him until he comes to take us home to be with him. Amen. Now may that peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.